0: Compliance Life details the journey to and in the role of a Chief Compliance Officer. How does one come to sit in the CCO chair? What are some of the skills a CCO needs to successfully navigate the compliance waters in any company? What are some of the top challenges CCOs have faced and how did they meet them? These questions and many others will be explored in this new podcast series. The Compliance Life is hosted by Tom Fox, and each month, he'll present the story of one CCO through four episodes. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. My
1: guest this month on The Compliance Life is Matt Silverman. Matt is not a chief compliance officer, but a director of trade compliance at VIAVI. I thought it would be interesting to explore the journey to the director's seat for a trade compliance professional as it mirrors the journey of a chief compliance officer but also has some unique twists and turns so over this four-part podcast series in the month of december of 2021 we're going to be exploring matt's journey his academic background his move from private practice to the corporate world and then some of the unique challenges of a director of trade compliance i know you'll enjoy this month on the compliance life featuring Matt Silverman. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox, and welcome to a new edition of The Compliance Life. In the month of December, I'm going to be visiting with Matt Silverman. Matt is currently a director of trade compliance. He is our first non-anti-corruption compliance type on The Compliance Life, but I found his story really interesting, and I thought it would be uh, even more interesting to have a non-ABC compliance professional, come in and tell us about his journey to and from the chair. So Matt, first of all, welcome to The Compliance Life.
0: Thank you, Tom. Very, very happy to be here. i um, uh, happy to accept your invitation uh,
1: to talk with you for a little bit today. I appreciate it. So Matt, uh, I was wondering uh, if you could start with telling us about your academic background and, and your really your early professional career.
0: Yeah, so I um, I am a, a proud graduate of the University of Michigan, go blue, uh, and then from there went straight on to a uh, a, a law career. Um, I went to law school at uh, Loyola University Chicago School of Law. I'm from um, from the Chicago area. Uh, I shortly after that uh, began practicing as a litigator in Chicago. So um, I did uh, a, a somewhat broad array of things, but all always kind of concentrated in the defense litigation field. So um, some medical malpractice, personal injury, um, some employment law here and there. I did a lot of uh, asbestos litigation uh, which for those uh, who have ever practiced in that area or know people that have it can be somewhat uh, monotonous and a lot of a lot of the same kind of cases that you're seeing kind of over and over again slightly different um, fact patterns maybe but really the same same cases over and over again and um, I, I did that for a while and really got to a point where, I felt a little bit um, pigeonholed in my career um, that I certainly could have continued on as a as a litigator and probably an asbestos litigator, um, but I didn't really want to do that with with my career. It's not really what I wanted to do um, as an attorney. Um, I still know um, plenty of people who practice in that area, and there's certainly the the ability to gain a lot of good experience and become a good trial lawyer. Um, but I I didn't really see that as a, an opportunity for myself. So I took a somewhat uh, probably a non-traditional path, at least for a U.S. attorney, uh, and I got my LLM uh, in um, at uh, Georgetown University in Washington, D.C. I had known some people who had gone there to get a tax LLM, which is uh, more common for tax attorneys, um, not, not as common for compliance attorneys or international trade attorneys, but I, I kind of used the LLM as a, as a bit of a springboard uh, in my career to sh- kind of transition my career from being a litigator to being a international trade. I had hoped one day attorney, I wasn't really sure exactly what I would do with it. Um, but I I went to Georgetown and then during during my LLM program, I, I got to get really involved with um, the, the kind of policy and legislation side of things in trade compliance. So I worked on Capitol Hill uh, for, for a little while as an extern, uh, working for um, a, a U.S. Senator on, on trade policy and legislation. I worked um, as part of the Obama administration with the U.S. trade representative who, um, the, for those who aren't familiar, the USTR, they do a lot of things on the policy side, one of which is um, um, negotiating free trade agreements, things like that. So I got to work uh, within the USTR and also got to work at a law firm within their international trade group and got to work on a lot of interesting um, anti-dumping and countervailing duty cases um, for those non non-trade professionals. I won't go into that in detail, but it can be a very um, interesting area to work in, and I got really good experience. So both on the kind of uh, private um, corporate regulatory side as well more on the government public affairs side. and, and really, really enjoyed that work and obviously really enjoyed um, my my academic time at Georgetown. And, uh, and use that, like I said, as a, as a bit of a springboard to kind of start, start somewhat fresh as a, as a new newly trained international trade uh, attorney coming out of um, Georgetown, kind of putting the, my litigation uh, past behind me, although I still use it every now and again in terms of uh, research and writing. Um, but I really, really used my, um, my new degree to kind of springboard me into a different professional career.
1: So Matt, let me explore your uh, international uh, business law degree at Georgetown. Um could you maybe contrast it with uh, your your law school academic experience? Was it the same? Was it different? And how did that really help you uh in your mind prepare to move to a, a really a different field within the law of trade compliance?
0: Yeah, so it's a good it's a good question. Um, there are certainly some similarities between a a, a JD uh, and an LLM, but I I would say that the the big difference is obviously within an LLM, you are going into it with a very specific idea of what you want to study, or at least you think you know what you want to study, so you can really be a lot more. Um, Um, picky in terms of the courses that you take. So I really, in my LLM program, focused almost exclusively on trade compliance courses. Uh, And now you can't do that at every school with an LLM, but at a school like Georgetown in Washington, D.C., they have a lot of trade policy, black letter law um, courses that you can take. You'd maybe be surprised how many. And they had a whole Curriculum just focused on international trade compliance, which obviously can include the export side, import side, sanctions issues, and then, like I said, more of the kind of policy issues and free trade agreements and um, things like that. So the LLM was very focused on international, um, international trade. The JD, uh, like most JD programs, at least in the first year or two, uh, much broader, right? So, everything from torts and criminal law and civil procedure um, to more focused uh, courses that I could pick and choose from. But I took everything, you know, in my JD from employment law and child law to different types of clinics and things like that that looked interesting to me. So, um, the JD was much more broadly focused. I really, when I got out of my JD program, I did become a a, um, a defense litigator, but not because I had really necessarily been trained to do that. Most of my uh, most of my training really occurred on the job. Um, by the time I had gotten my LLM and gone through that program, though, I, I had a much better idea of what the substantive nature of international trade was. What it would be to really be a international trade compliance professional or attorney it was much uh, much more focused so i certainly um wouldn't wouldn't go back and do it differently the having a kind of a general background that you get as a as a as a lawyer having a jd both in research and writing and evidence and civil procedure i mean that's all obviously very important. And there are a lot of parts of it, both in my academic background and my professional background that have been helpful as a corporate regulatory uh, attorney. Um, but yeah, the LLM was much more specific and really gave me an opportunity to delve much deeper into an area of, of, uh, of law and compliance where I knew I, I had interest, but didn't really know until after I had completed that degree that this is really something I could see doing um, for my career.
1: And let me ask you a little bit about some of the policy aspects. Uh, as you know, uh, as I introduced, you're the first trade compliance director of trade compliance on the compliance life. And I really only know one other person who's moved into compliance, uh, even if it was ABC compliance, but starting, uh, really the way you did with the same degree at Georgetown and then doing policy work on the Hill or other places, how did the policy work you did, even as an extern, really help you in your career going forward? Yeah, that's
0: a, that's a good question. So I, I think part of it is that um, obviously when you are, um, what I do now as a, as a trade attorney in the corporate field, um, it's it's not necessarily policy that you're interested in. I mean, you may have an interest in it, um, but it's not really what you're concerned about day to day. Your Your concerns are, um, for the most part, the the black letter law, for lack of a better term, how to apply it, um, what it is, where it's changing, et cetera. But being um, involved on in the policy side, right, um, getting to work with the different agencies, for example, when they were negotiating free trade agreements or getting a really um, good understanding of, the role of um, OFAC within the Treasury Department or the role of commerce and seeing how uh, the, um, the laws, so for example, the Export Administration Regulations or within the Department of State, um, the, um, the USML, how these different laws and regulations really come to be, come to be negotiated, who are kind of the key players, whether they're um, lobbyists or other, other um, uh, businesses, Uh, who have um, interests to, you know, ensure that the laws are written a certain way. It's kind of nice to see how the, um, um, kind of see how the sausage is made, right, to kind of see the inner workings of these laws and regulations, how they come to be, the different stakeholders and parties involved. Uh, And then getting to work, you know, literally on on the Hill with a a U.S. Senator and, and his team on... How they kind of weigh the different interests, right? The, the interests of their constituents, the interests of certainly of of corporations and other companies, whether it's within their constituency or just U.S. companies um, overall, and how certain laws or regulations will impact them. It it gives you, uh, I think, a better idea once you become. A, um, a a professional in the private sector. It gives you a better understanding uh, and more involvement in not just how are we going to apply this law or what is the law, but it really does help you to see um, how some of these regulations come about. And even in my you know in my career. In the, in the private sector and representing companies, policy does come into play. I mean, we have public affairs um, at c- my current job and, and previous positions. We have um, uh, people who work in government affairs in Washington, D.C., who we have to coordinate with if we're concerned or um, need clarification about maybe an upcoming change to um, the regulatory environment. And, and we want to protect our interests as a telecommunication company or in my previous job as a, um, in the semiconductor industry. So, you know, I also work with our government affairs people and having that background, having that knowledge and and seeing a little bit how things work on Capitol Hill, it it does help you to appreciate that more and and have a better working relationship with your government affairs um, people on on the inside.
1: Matt, uh, one of the places you worked as an extern, I believe, was the World Bank. And I frankly was not aware of the World Bank or had not thought of them in terms of trade compliance, but could you give a few words about the World Bank's role in uh, trade compliance and how that may actually uh, also influence your work uh, right up to today?
0: Sure. So I I did a very, um, kind of a very specific job at at the World Bank. So um, the the World Bank is not really thought of as a as a trade compliance agency necessarily, and it's not. Um, but one of the things that the World Bank does um, is is foreign direct investment, right? So um, investing in um, uh, it could be small companies or family run businesses or large um, corporations outside of the United States. Um, Putting money directly into those investments. It could be helping, um, you know, a, a, a small community in in Kenya who's got a a coffee uh, a coffee bean company, a startup investing in them, or it could be something much larger scale. So what I what I did in that job was I worked specifically on. Um, foreign direct investment issues uh, in an area of the World Bank called the International Finance Corporation, which sounds like a, a private institution, but it's not. It's part of the World Bank. And and basically what I did there was um, taking a look at different um, different countries uh, and what some of the investment um, uh, risks and liabilities were from a U.S. standpoint. So, if we decided to invest in a company in in Sweden, in Kenya, in Russia, et cetera, what are some of the risks involved? Um, how how do we mitigate against such risks? You know, whether it's political strife or civil unrest or Earthquakes or hurricanes or all, all different kinds of things or just corruption within the government. So it was a really interesting opportunity. Um, it wasn't necessarily trade compliance directly, but um, certainly in my um, you know in my position now where I focus on things like due diligence within the trade compliance field and who we're investing in or what companies we're thinking of purchasing things like that, where you have to balance some of those risks and and liabilities and how do you mitigate those. It gave me I. Think, think a good um, a good understanding a good understanding of that um, and it was really you know it's not something I use every day but certainly um, being being able to analyze risk is a big part of, of my job as a trade compliance professional. Uh, and so that job at the World Bank gave me a good opportunity to look at literally across the world different countries, different companies what the risks are involved in that case with um, with foreign direct investment issues.
1: So Matt, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us in our next episode, which will be episode two, where you move into the corporate world. Matt, I look forward to continuing this conversation. Thanks, Tom. I appreciate it. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. Thank you again for listening to this episode of The Compliance Life. The Compliance Life is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. If you would like to be featured on The Compliance Life, please uh, give me an email at uh, tfox at tfoxlaw.com. Also, if you like this series, please give us a rating on iTunes. Uh, Any review and rating would definitely help get the word out about the latest addition to the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again.